Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome back. In case you uh, forgot that it's still winterish, welcome Colorado. But also for the NFL, the, the league meetings are going on. Not quite winter meetings, but they're league meetings that happen uh, out in Phoenix. And so now you're talking about a appearance for Sean Payton and an opportunity to talk about the Denver Broncos. And you know, in the offseason, these are somewhat few and far between. And, and it's it's worth noting that Payton is going to take some getting used to if you really not if you haven't followed him in New Orleans, because some of his answers will be quite quite loquacious, and some of them will be Bill Belichick-esque, where three well, words, I'm not addressing that. You have to understand that he comes from the Parcells school, and that involved much of the same kind of repartee, some very loquacious stuff that always came from Parcells, uh, but also... Uh, a certain testiness if Parcells mm. did not like the question. I think you'll see that in Peyton. Uh, Belichick can be loquacious, believe it or not, when he's given certain subject matter to talk about. I can think of two subjects on which he will expound at length, the Shanahans and special teams. And I think the interesting thing, uh, one of the interesting things anyway about these meetings is that you're hearing more and more about safety issues attached to the kicking game, and Mm -hmm. in this case, punting. And you wonder if, in a few years, you will even really need a special teams coach for, what, eight plays a game? Six, seven, eight plays a game? And if every punt that goes into the end zone comes back out as kickoffs due to the 25-yard line, which they are discussing, yes. what do you need a punt returner for? Any more than you need a kickoff returner mm-hmm. nowadays. Kickoff returner hardly ever returns. Throw someone out there with uh, good hands that can fair catch. That's right. Or let the ball bounce into the bounce. end zone. Let it bounce. Right. Yeah, I think, I think the kicking game, truthfully, you know, how long it'll take, I don't know. But I think kickoffs and punt returns are eventually going away. And whether they... they Maybe faster than we thought. And they may be... Look, I I can see a scenario in which they're eliminated entirely, and after a team tries their extra point, you just give the ball to the other team at the 25, rock and roll, let's go. Yep. I mean, I, I, I can see that happening in reasonably short order, quite frankly. And I'm not entirely sure that, you know, that's the worst thing in the world. That's not where they're at right now. But the... One of the interesting thrusts of this was the idea that Peyton made it very clear, John Payton, that Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton will not be traded. And uh, I noticed it's interesting, I'm just going to point it out and leave it as it is, that the quotes on the, the Broncos' official transcripts, what I have in front of them, are not entirely what was said by Sean Payton. So, you know, the answer on the transcripts is, uh, indicate that it's very common to have that. But let me give you the quote specifically talking about uh, what he said to NFL Network about receiving trade interest. He said this, and I'll read you the whole thing because it's interesting. Quote, I see and I read just like everyone else does. Then occasionally when someone really crowds the plate, I throw a fastball right at their chin and they back up and they're like, all right. And so I haven't thrown any fastballs lately, but we're not trading those two players. I want to kind of appreciate the 
detailed baseball reference. I get what he's pointing out. I wonder who he's throwing a fastball at, though. Let's let's consider. When people call and the phone rings like it does this time of year, George Payton's job is to pick it up and say, hey, tell you what, we're not. And so we've received calls, you bet. Those are two good football players, but we're in the business of gathering talent right now. Why do people call? Because they know that we're void of draft picks and that we might because there were just some discussions a year ago, I think, regarding Cortland. But we like the group that we're working with. Well, that is a straight shot across the bow, of course, of media reports that the Broncos would be interested in trading either of those two guys. Now, which started with the NFL Network, as I. Yeah. And I understand recall, the song and, and dance. But, but this is the NFL's network. Right. And then and Peyton comes back and says, so no, we're not trading. We were never going to trade him. The NFL's network. And, I, I, you know, that's that's pretty brassy. Uh, but at the same time, when does brassiness become arrogance? That's a little excessive. And this idea that the Broncos aren't trading these guys, um, it, it, they're not trading these guys because they can't get a first rounder or a second rounder right. for either one of them. Right. That's why they're not trading them. And where do they have a void in this draft? In the first round, and in the second round. Of course, that's what they're asking for. Of course, nobody's given uh, them a first round for either guy. And they certainly aren't giving them a second rounder for Sutton, maybe for Judy. But from what he says, it sounds like they couldn't even get a second round offer. So I don't think they trade him for a second round anyway. I wouldn't do that. And maybe I maybe that's know. the case. I might. You know, uh, Judy's not even twenty four yet. I, I might. Uh but yes, I, I I could see why perhaps they would not do that. And 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 that's okay. To me, it's absurd to suggest that you couldn't make a good deal for Sutton and it would make a lot of sense both s-e-n-s-e and c-e-n-t-s for them to do so as we have discussed at length nobody with respect to Cortland sutton is giving them anything more than i suspect maybe a fourth rounder that's a right. third day pick i think a fourth That's rounder is what you get second for day pick. yes and you and i've talked about this we talked about it last week by the way you can always go to mileysports.com or the the free miley sports app and you can listen to those on demand but we talked about this last week that we would make the deal because it's been very, very clear that this team is going into a, a run first offense. A lot of two tight ends. That's not a lot of three wide. And so you don't have necessarily that need. Now, granted, you're talking about the injury history. Uh, I mean, look behind this. Now, Jerry Judy's dealt with a couple injuries, but Cortland Sutton's injury uh, history is is somewhat lengthy. Tim Patrick missed the whole season. K.J. Hamler's hurt again. Greg Dulcich missed time. Dulcich, by the way, was third on the team in receptions with 33 of the guys that are returning. So, yikes. But it, it, it's... Now, on that point, I don't want to lose that yeah. point. He was asked about Dulcich. Mm-hmm. We'll see, he said. We haven't gone through every player relative to the evaluation process. Some of it was hard, the evaluation. Some of it was hard. You're talking about the third leading pass catcher on the team. Now, that's damning with faint praise, perhaps. But to basically dismiss him and say, I don't know anything about him, as if he were a distant draft pick from years gone by. Or you haven't looked at any film on him when he was your third leading receiver and... Okay. Yeah, that's where some of it feels like a little bit of the the song and dance that you expect this time of year. But it was interesting to basically say, you know, 
we're not trading. The quote is, we're not trading those two players. And I think that's an interesting choice. Or the, or the Broncos basically saying that here we are a month away from the draft still. That, you know, who knows what other team might have a K.J. Hamler type situation where their guy's working out and he gets hurt or who knows what. Are you really saying that because at this point you haven't gotten offers you want, you're just going to tell everybody don't bother? And what if a team comes back and says, no, you know what? We've had some situations we want to give you a third for Cortland Sutton. Are you going to say, nope, you didn't do it a month ago, so no? I don't think so. And what I, I think this statement is interesting because what it really does is it, whether it was off the cuff or intentional, it disenfranchises George Payton, who we know his role, his role <laughs> that has was been, my main His role too. has uh, dramatically he's, been he's, reduced. He's a secretary. He answers the phone, which is even what he, he answers said. the phone. That was the exact but quote. He doesn't make final decisions. When people call and trades. the phone rings like it does this time of year, George Payton's job is to pick it up and he's, say, "Hey, tell you what, we're not." End quote. He is the lead secretary over uh, in Dove Valley. Uh, we'll, we'll call him. I mean, that's probably giving him a title that he doesn't deserve, Secretary Payton, but he ain't. He's not calling general. the shots. He's not calling the and, shots. And now, he's not a general. Know, he's a secretary. What if someone he, calls George Payton today? He's a phone transcriber. And offers him a third. I mean, did the Broncos turn it down? I, I think not only does it sort of disenfranchise George Payton, it also directly hamstrings him now. What do you do? I mean, has Sean Payton basically laid down the gauntlet and said, don't bother calling anymore? And if so, is that smart? You're, you're a bad team with a guy in Cortland Sutton. That we're, we're not, we've made it very clear. We're not complaining about Cortland Sutton. But it may very well be for both parties, a trade makes the most sense. Sutton go to a team where there, there's more necessity, an opportunity to maybe establish your market value better, because if he and Judy are both back, Jerry Judy is going to be the leading receiver on this in, team, in not last- Cortland Sutton. Two years. And Sutton makes with, a ton of money. With three different quarterbacks, okay? Basically, right? I, I, I know Wilson does some games last year. But basically three quarterbacks. I know Brett, and say four with Brett Rippon, okay? You've had Wilson, Brett Rippon from last year, and the year before you had Bridgewater and Drew Locke. Cortland Sutton has averaged basically 60 catches for 800 yards and a couple of touchdowns. You can get producers at the wide receiver position in the third or fourth round of the draft. I know he says not a deep draft for wide receivers. Every draft's a deep uh, draft for wide draft receivers. Every draft now is a deep draft for yep, wide receivers. all of them are. There's no such thing as a draft. that. So now he's characterizing the draft in a manner of analysis that normally – is attributed to GMs. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right? Which, which you know, so the, follows. The further emasculation of George Payton continues. Yeah. it's uh, He really has been reduced to a minimal role in a lot of ways. And, and, and the fact that <laughs> the last time we saw Sean Payton talk about George Payton, he was talking about how they were great friends and had a great relationship, and he really likes him personally. And then at NFL Network saying, literally, his job is to pick up the phone and tell them no. Wow. Now, other interesting tidbits from that. One of the things I thought was intriguing was he also talked about Lloyd Cushenberry. 
And I think the presumption is, as much as you and I like Lloyd Cushenberry and think if Lloyd Cushenberry happened to be about 30 pounds heavier, might be a pro bowler. But, but the, he's not. But he's not. And, and that's the, the reality of things. And it's just not going to be, uh, it's been a problem. I think you've tried it long enough. But his statement about Cushenberry was intriguing because they talked about the offensive line and how important it was. But asked about Cushenberry specifically and the additions to the offensive line, Peyton said, quote, we felt it was an area we needed to address. We feel like he's certainly going to benefit from these additions. We haven't met any of these guys yet, but we see him as our starting center. Yeah, and, and I understand they aren't allowed to. Right. They aren't allowed to. So it, he gets a head start, as we mentioned last week, come April. Well, it ain't April yet. So I, I understand he doesn't know. And maybe that's part of the answer on Dulcich, too. But you can't look at tape on him? As part of I the mean, evaluation maybe, maybe, process? Maybe they I, do. Maybe they think the, no, phys, the physicality no, isn't an issue. I, I don't remember know. Remember Vic Fangio when he came in here and said, I looked at no tapes of anybody from the previous year. I want to judge them on their merits as I see them. I don't want to be taken in one direction or another by looking at tape from the previous year on a player. Okay. Uh, but... <laughs> We see him as our starting center up. Okay. It's, okay. It's just interesting I, I think to see. That's right? something you say when you have no other options at the present time. Right. And they have no other options. Luke Wattenberg. Yeah. And it isn't as it wasn't as strong a statement as it was about the potential wide receiver trade, where he's you know, saying that we're not trading right. those players. Right. I said, like, we see him as our starting center. That's interesting. Of course, one of the more interesting signings was uh, Jared Stidham. Now, yes. Stidham, of course, uh, Signed away from the Raiders, who, uh, who did, presumably did, wanted to keep him. Did want to keep him. Uh, they obviously, you know, basically when they decided to move away from Derek Carr for good, Stidham was the opp- guy that got the opportunity, played well in a game against the Niners. But uh, we've talked about the addition of Stidham, and is he just your regular backup quarterback, or is there something a little bit more, a little bit of pressure to be put on Russell Wilson to do it Sean Payton's way? Here was his answer about Stidham. I think he's young but I think he's someone that we had a good grade on coming out. Um, we like the player. I think he played well in the two two starts he had this year. If you study <clears throat> closely the San Francisco game, um, he's smart at the line of scrimmage. And so there were a couple of directions really with that position. That you, there were a handful of number twos that, that either I'd worked with or we felt comfortable with. Um, but in this case, I think it's a number two that is arrows moving in a direction where, you know, we feel like he can become an NFL starter in our league. Now, uh, so the evaluation was pretty crystal clear for all of us. Um, I think he's someone that's going to be great in the room. He's smart. Um, and so quietly, that was an important sign for us. When you, you hear that now, that's not, you know, I found my quarterback of the future type statement. We know that Russell Wilson isn't going anywhere, at least not this year for sure. Is the idea that Stidham is a little bit of a hammer for Peyton to hold over Wilson to do things his way? Well, I, we said last week in our conversation with Romy Bean, and I, I think Romy agreed with us. Um, I don't think Jarrett Stidham represents an immediate competitive threat to Russell Wilson's starting position. But 
if Wilson's game across the first half of the season uh, resembles what we saw last year, he is an option, much as he turned out to be for Josh McDaniels back in December when McDaniels made the decision to bench Derek Carr and play Jarrett Stidham in the final, what, couple of games? Mm-hmm. Which turned out to be January games, actually, right. in 2023. Yeah. So this is a guy who, in calendar year 2023, has started multiple games in the NFL. So he is uh, certainly on fairly firm foundation when he says, I could see this guy being a starter in this league. And certainly that's the way Josh McDaniels felt last year and into January of this year, which makes it strange to me that he would leave for $5 million in guaranteed money and a two-year $10 million contract when you know even after getting Jimmy Garoppolo that McDaniels would have wanted to keep Stidham because Jimmy Garoppolo every year of his career more or less gets hurt. Mm-hmm. It, it, it in, it's an intriguing situation and we'll find out a little bit more, but you're right. I, I think, I think what it indicates is there is a concern on Sean Payton's part and therefore the Denver Broncos part that Russell Wilson's decay last year may have been a harbinger of things to come and not an anomaly. And so I think they are hedging their bets there, but it is somewhat surprising how incredibly open Peyton is about it. And that's where I think there's a little bit of both. There is a little bit to, because there've been a couple shots across the bow. Now, I don't think Wilson was surprised by it, but obviously when he was introduced and the idea, oh, I had never heard of a team ever having a guy having his own coach off the, which is obviously not true. There are quarterbacks that have done it, but basically saying that this is what what Wilson did with his well, folks that, in his it, office. That had that, a double meaning to it. It did. It, it, it the the first I I, I uh, had no understanding of that. I think was the way he he put it. Right. So does that He'd mean never you've heard of never that. heard of it as a coach in this league? You've never heard of such arrangement, uh, or does it mean that? Uh, that's an incomprehensible concept to me that a player would have an office on the second floor of the building. Yeah. Yeah. That's an fair. office to himself where his entourage would be allowed free reign anywhere in the building. But there have been a couple of situations in which, look, we know about the case with, with Nathaniel Hackett. Russell Wilson kind of ran this team. Probably a little more power. That Hackett, and that is no longer the case. Hackett did not have the gravitas. It is very clear that from day one, Sean Payton walked in and says, no, that's over. I run the team. Yeah. And... And Russell that message is being heard by Russell Wilson and by George Payton. Yeah. Who have both if maybe taken a step back. If not by Greg Penner, with whom uh, I, I I think there were some easy feelings from Payton that we haven't talked about in our first two weeks on mm-hmm. the air, but we will get into at some point. When uh, Payton's first interview, which I'm telling you folks, did not go well. And no one has particularly denied that. The reasons it didn't go well have varied. But from people I have talked to who are as close to the situation as it's possible to be, 
say the power struggle that bothered Peyton did not involve Peyton, but involved instead Greg Penner and Rob Wolf. Well, that will, of course, evolve over time. What we know out uh, for down at Ball Arena is that the current reigning back-to-back MVP is taking on the uh, top contender who's made it very clear he wants that trophy. Except that guy's not playing tonight. We'll talk about the Sixers and the Nuggets next on My Life Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar. Presented by Burnham Wall. Hire the winner at BurnhamWall.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. In his career, Sandy, Joel Embiid has played the Denver Nuggets eight times. But the last time he did so in Denver was in 2019. He will not do so again tonight. Not amazing. Now, we don't know what the schedule will be like for next year, but it's entirely possible that, at best, the next time Joel Embiid plays a game in Denver will come in 2024. Yeah. Five years after he last played a game here, because we know that this season, which is now well into 2023, he will not be playing tonight. Right. He will be missing the game because of a precautionary measure. The Sixers going through three games in four nights, so Embiid is not going to play tonight. James Harden, by the way, coming back from an Achilles injury, will, which I think is also sort of interesting, but uh, so be it. But yeah, let, let me make a guess. James Harden is, to his credit, leading the league in assists, but leading the league in assists when you have the best score in the league on your team this is not necessarily the grandest of achievements, right? It goes hand in hand. If you've got a guy who averages more than 33 points per game, as Embiid does, averaging 10 or more assists, well, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> he, he He's giving you 13, 14 field goals a game. You're getting a large number of assists just throwing the ball to him, right? Right. And he makes a three-pointer or he makes a move – uh, on the inside, uh, you don't get assists when he gets fouled, of course, and, and goes to the line. But uh, for a guy who averages 33 points a game, having a teammate who averages more than 10 assists is not necessarily all that unusual. Um, I will make a prediction that uh, James Harden will not have 10 assists tonight. I would not think so. And I don't even know how hard they're going to play. The last time Embiid played in Denver, by the way, when you're looking at those uh, those games, you are looking all the way back in 2019, as we pointed out, to December of 2019, early going of the 2019-2020 season. Right. Uh, in that game, he went 8 for 18 for 22 points, 10 boards, and 6 assists. I remember the game. I, had, I was at the game, and he was fine, but uh, Jokic outplayed him. Uh, the the Sixers actually did win that game, ninety seven to ninety two, in, right. in the early going. Right, and he was again, he was fine, but it was a lower scoring game, and I thought Jokic outplayed him. And again, that was a while back, sure. part of the nineteen twenty season, which became uh, one of two COVID impacted years. And 
So uh, Denver and Philadelphia were not going to meet. Probably wouldn't have met anyway, but certainly weren't going to meet the way things are set up in the bubble in the NBA Finals. So, yeah, his his games against Jokic have generally come in Philadelphia. Yep. And that's more so than they come here. Injuries had something to do with that, but uh, there does seem to be a certain inclination, and I'm not saying it's 100% Embiid's call, but a certain inclination or disinclination to play here against Jokic head-to-head. And uh, to me, as close as the MVP balloting is, um, if you care about such things, and we probably talk about it and care about it more than Jokic does, but uh, he made a strong case Saturday night vis-a-vis Giannis, and obviously in Embiid's absence tonight, you would expect Jokic to have Here's another dominant game. What they have averaged against one another, because uh, in in the seven games they've played, because although he's played eight against the Denver Nuggets, one of them, but Nicole Jokic was not involved in. Jokic has averaged twenty one point nine points, eight point nine boards, seven point four assists in there. Embiid has averaged twenty five point seven points, eleven point nine boards, and three point six assists. In other words, they knock each other's numbers down. But not a lot, oh. and roughly about the same percentage. So they, they kind of play each other to a standstill. I, I think for so. the most and, and part, they're, they're fascinating to watch because they're stylistically yeah, very immensely different, different right? right? Although Embiid can pass, and uh, I noticed in the game the other night against Golden State out in San Francisco, he had forty-six points, nine rebounds, eight assists, uh, twenty-eight points, ten rebounds against Phoenix. They lost both games, mm-hmm. and I guess the logic then becomes we needed to win at least one of those two games to have a shot at either second-place Boston or first-place Milwaukee, but since we lost both those games, we're not going to play Embiid tonight. The chase is over. We're locked into third. We'll play Brooklyn or Miami in the first round of the playoffs. And that's the end of the conversation. And if he has any kind of uh, uh, feeling that his calf isn't right and he could possibly aggravate the injury, better to send him out. Uh, Though I was surprised that uh, in a game that really wasn't very close in Phoenix the other night, he played as much as he did. Yeah, I, that's surprising. And I want to I want to bring in our producer Danny Bailey on that as Milo Sports executive producer, by the way, and producer on this program because uh, we were talking a little bit before the show. And and Danny, what's what we think is interesting about this is you could make the argument if you're the Sixers, you can absolutely, for all the reasons Sandy pointed out, make the argument as to why you shouldn't play Joel Embiid tonight. You could totally make that argument, but Joel Embiid himself has made it very clear, not over the course of this season, but last season as well, oh, yeah. that he believes he should be the MVP. It is hard for me to believe that if Embiid, after having a good performance and a loss, and wants to prove that he should be the MVP over Nikola Jokic, wouldn't want to play in, if he really wanted to play in this game, I have to think they'd let him play. And we've talked about it. He hasn't played in Denver since 2019. Do you think he's ducking Jokic? Yeah, he is. 
He's ducking Jokic. It feels like it. It's unfortunate. It stinks for everybody who is excited for the MVP battle tonight to see those two go at it. Even though Giannis, as you've said, Sean, might be the front runner for MVP even I mean, more I, than both I these guys. Um, I looked at a couple of stats. But Giannis hasn't c- complained when he was winning no, his MVPs. No, he never, never, came, well, never he's won his MVPs. But, but, I mean, is but not. even when he did, he didn't campaign for him. No. Jokic didn't Correct. campaign for him. Right. Embiid's been campaigning for it. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know he wants one of these. And, uh, yeah, it's so that you were saying you ran over some. Yeah, of I, I checked out some interesting stats on Embiid versus Jokic. Right. The Sixers nine and four without Embiid this year. The Nuggets are three and five without Jokic. Take from that what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, Embiid is averaging career highs in points and assists. Uh, Jokic only averaging a career high in assists. So he's having a great season dishing out the ball since he's almost averaging a triple-double. But Joel Embiid also, his assists are up there too at, uh, I think, 4.4. So mm-hmm. he's doing a good job on the assists. Um, and then Embiid has shot... Jokic is fourth in the league, though. Yeah, he, yeah <laughs> I said it more in jest than anything because right, exactly. I mean, good for him, him to throw he's, four he's assists improving, a game sure, is ridiculous. But, you can do that off the bench. Right. But Embiid shot 728 free throws this season. Jokic has 401. Yeah. Um, so they have very different styles of play. I think they're both phenomenal athletes and incredible big men in the NBA in this era where we've kind of seen a resurgence of big men, mm-hmm. which is so much fun to watch. But the fact that he hasn't played Jokic in Denver in so long is just, it's mind-boggling. It, 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 it doesn't bizarre. make any sense. It, it, it's it's the old thing, right? If Especially you wanna, since he can, he seems to take it so personally. Yeah, if, if, you be, the, if, if you want to be the, the champ, beat the champ. Yeah, well, Show up no, and play. He did beat the champ in the last game they played against each other on January 28th. 47 points. It, Much the, of them in crunch time. Then is that his statement? Rebounds, his argument five is, assists. They're 15 down to the Nuggets. They win the game going away, and that was so. Beat's closing than two statement is is go check out January. That's all I need to say. I mean, maybe and uh, you know the records: Denver fifty and twenty four, Philly forty nine and twenty five. Mm-hmm. Denver is plus thirteen, Philadelphia is plus twelve. That would change tonight. It would flip. If Philadelphia put it this won way, the game. if if Philly won tonight with Embiid on the floor and he did even a fraction of what he did in the last game, the discussion between Embiid and Jokic goes out the window. Now it's just Embiid and, and Giannis. We know how badly Embiid wants one of these. If Embiid played the kind of game he played in January and Philadelphia won the game by there's any no means, more Jokic versus Embiid. I I think you'd have to give Embiid the edge, and I, I I'm just surprised at the way they slash he have played it on this road trip so far in two games that they've lost. He's played major minutes and he's put up big numbers and now he's not playing at all tonight. Uh, it, it, it is odd to me. It is odd. And, and I think when you talk about this, the way that it kind of works out because it is so important to Embiid, it, it intrigues me, but. I guess if you're you're the Nuggets, you know what what do you care? That's what I, we are curious about. What you think? Of course, the right. Colin text line is three zero three eight three one thirteen forty, because it does feel like they are there. There's a bit of a ducking him there, which is fascinating. You said we have a text about it now, Danny. We did. It's uh, less about the MVP debate and more about just the Nuggets. Um, this is from Roger. He's texted him before. Thanks for listening, Roger. As long as I can remember, the Nuggets have played down to their competition, but I don't think they will take any of the playoff teams lightly. I think he's 100% right because that's been a problem for years. And now it seems like maybe of late, they've kind of let up a little bit. 
But we saw against the Bucks in the games that matter, they will show up. Let me give you this year the Nuggets record against the top six teams in both conferences, of which the Nuggets are one. So it's against 11 other teams, top six in the East, and the other five, the top six teams in the West. 16 and 8, okay? Percentage 667. Against the teams from seven on down, both in the East and West, they are 34 and 16. That's a winning percentage of 680. Scarcely a difference, to Danny's point, between how the Nuggets fare against the top teams and how they fare against everybody else. Now, would you argue perhaps that they should be winning 70 to 75% of their games against the lower tier teams? Maybe. But winning two out of three against the best teams in the league, pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. My my feeling would be you go 60% against those teams and 75% against the others. But, again, the Nuggets have been able this year to rise to the occasion, especially in the Western Conference against the other top teams, 11-2 and two against Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix, the Clippers, and Golden State. Uh, a more modest 5-6 and six against Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, Cleveland, New York, and Brooklyn. But overall, 16-8, and eight, if you're winning two-thirds of your games against the top 12 teams in the league year in and year out, you're a championship contender by definition. We're not the only people when you're talking about the idea that Embiid might be ducking, and by the way, uh, sort of across the board. Some of the numbers in Vegas on MVP, right after he was announced to be scratched, Embiid was a minus 145 to win the MVP. He dropped to a plus 100, lost 245 points. Jokic went from plus 195 to plus 25, gained 70. Basically, everybody feels he's ducking him. That's interesting. Makes for very good theater, doesn't it? I guess we will see for the Nuggets. Who cares? Great. One of the more dangerous teams in the leagues came in and decided to bench their best player. Take advantage, bank a win, call it good. Quick note, too, and and I think we've made this fairly clear, but just to, to, Jokic has great respect for Embiid, and Embiid, in spite of his campaigning, has great respect for Jokic and does not begrudge Jokic any of the accolades that Jokic gets. But Giannis won it twice. Jokic has won it twice. Embiid has never been the MVP and seems to want it more than the other two or care about it more than the other two. Very odd that Giannis would play the other night and actually played more than I thought he should have played, but that's Milwaukee's deal. And Embiid wouldn't play at all tonight. Not the way we would have set it up last week nope. when we were projecting on who might be rested or even not play at all and who would play. If you're the Nuggets, don't uh, don't look, look the proverbial gift horse in the mouth. Just go take it, get the win, and on to the next one. That's what the Avalanche have been doing, and it put them in a position tonight to control the Central Division. We'll talk about that next on Mile Sports. You know we've got to find a way. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. 
Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche tonight have an opportunity to put the Central Division close to in their back pocket because they are behind Minnesota by one game. Minnesota will host the Seattle Kraken, who are pretty good on the road this year and actually pretty good overall. And even if Minnesota holds on, as long as the Avs win, the Avs will find themselves one behind Minnesota with the Wild coming to town on Wednesday. Now, they can't afford to look ahead to that, but we can because um, we're not skating. Well, we described the Nugget profile just a few minutes ago. Against surefire playoff teams, they're winning two-thirds of their games. Against non-playoff teams or non-surefire playoff teams, uh, their winning percentage is 13 points higher, 680 to 667. Not much difference. The overall winning percentage of the Avalanche is right around 640. The Nuggets are a little over 675. But against playoff teams, it's a very different breakout. 15, 13, and 6 for the Avs. Okay? That's basically 500. Very close to it. 529. Against non-playoff teams, though, they're 28 and 10. They have dominated. They are winning almost 74% of their games against non-playoff teams. Anaheim is clearly one of the non-playoff teams, except in the one game they played against the Avalanche earlier this year in Denver, Anaheim won the game and won the game handily. I believe 6-3 was the score. But according to patterns basically established over the first 72 games of the year, Sean, uh, the Avalanche have dominated the weaker teams. They've had more of a struggle against the teams on their level. It's been harder for them. With the Nuggets, there's basically no difference. The Nuggets play well against everybody. Um, but they don't necessarily dominate the weaker teams. The Avalanche do. And that dominance has to continue in these final 10 games, four of which, as we mentioned earlier, come against Anaheim and San Jose, who are 7th and 8th, respectively, in the Pacific Division. You've got to win those four games. Not losing overtime or in a shootout, you need every one of those eight points if you're going to finish first in the Central Division. They are likely to end up starting Jonas Johansson tonight. It's not Looks uh, that it's way. not official yet, Looks but that, that is the expectation, and it makes perfect sense. I mean, at this point, Anaheim has been uh, eliminated for a bit, and they're, they're really not playing for anything except the ping-pong balls in the draft lottery. So for for the Avs, you put this away, and then all of a sudden you will have back-to-back games against Minnesota and Dallas. And by the end of this week, the Avs could be in the driver's seat in the Central. And uh, look, Vegas has won their last four. They've played well. I think that, that Vegas has probably put the, the number one overall seed in the rearview mirror. I think the Avs should ignore it, not even um, worry about it. Yeah, either Vegas or the Kings. Or the Kings. Kings, right? by, as you pointed out, the Kings may be the surprise of the entire league, right. and the, the Kings are out there looking like one of the best teams in hockey and have been for all, all year long, and they have more points I than the I think the Kings well. and New Jersey are the two most surprising. New Jersey's another really good one. So, But for the Avs, that's not the concern. This is a team that's better on the road than they are at home. Uh, Nathan McKinnon has pointed it out right, very clearly. They're not afraid of going on the road for very good reason. And if you just get the home ice against a first-round team that's a wild-card team and, and you let Dallas and Minnesota go deal with each other, that's perfect. 
So for the Az, yeah, winning the Central is big. And for a lot of the year, it felt like you probably had to put that goal to the side because the injuries were sapping them. But the way they've played, as you pointed out last week, basically as good as Boston for the last third of the season. And Boston is on track still to set the record for the most regular season wins and points. Yes. Uh, Boston's at 57 wins. The record is 62. 119 points. The record is 132. And Boston has, what, nine games? Mm-hmm. And the Avs have been sitting there with them neck and neck for the so last So if they win the six out of nine, they set the wins record. And that uh, six and three would put them at 131. But seven and two would put them at 133. If they win seven of their remaining nine games, seven and two or seven, one and one, they're the record holders for points and wins in a single season. And the Avalanche have basically been since mid-January, which was more or less the halfway point of the Mm -hmm. season, roughly the halfway point of the season for everybody. They have been in the second half of the year pretty much neck and neck with Boston. Pretty much neck and neck with Boston. Uh, That's, I think, something that they can take great pride in having achieved. But as you pointed out earlier, there have been two occasions previously in this month alone in which the Avalanche have had a chance to take over first place in the Central, and they fail both times. Right, and and that's maybe a bit of a concern because they have not been able to cash this in, and uh, that there's an opportunity to do it again tonight. They could get to 94 points. Yes, the Wild, with the win over the Kraken, would stay ahead, but the uh, only by one point with Minnesota coming into town, and the Avs would still retain their game now, in hand. So I a big one for them the tonight. the other times they've had this chance, Dallas and the Kings have been the opponents. Right. right? Okay, this is Anaheim. Get it done, guys. We'll find out. We'll make sure we talk about it tomorrow. Thanks so much. Danny Bailey, Andrew Dentmer in the booth making everything work. We're going to hand things over to our friend at Afternoon Drive. Of course, Cody Rourke and Nilo Piro. We'll catch you tomorrow right here. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it locked on Mile High Sports.